0: You're listening to The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. Join Dell and BJ in conversations about poker theory and bridging the gap between theory and application. We're all in this together. This week's topic The Role of Creativity in Poker.
1: Joining us on the show today is Jordan Sweet. I know Jordan from School of Cards, he is a moderator. A content creator, he does some hand history reviews with other School of Cards coaches. And interestingly enough, he's a black belt in Korean sword art. Now, I've never heard of this before. What exactly is sword art? Is it where you, like, stab me in the most beautiful, elegant way possible?
0: No, okay. So it's just martial arts, but with a sword. And it's just extra syllables to say, like, sword martial arts. But people are not familiar with Korean versions. So the technical name is Haedong Gumdo and it's like the way of the sword people are familiar just with the japanese samurai but yeah yeah hundreds of years ago techniques traveled across the water and from country to country but yeah it's it's just the um, the stuff that i learned came from korean masters and that's why we call it a korean sword art
1: how did you get involved in korean sword art like i have never even heard of it and it just sounds amazing like whenever i watch a jet lee movie or something and they have all that masterful choreographed fight scenes that's what it seems like to me. Is that it or what? Right, so when
0: people were fighting years ago, they weren't thinking of creating a style and naming it. It was just like, this is how we fight to either save our homeland from invaders or just to protect each other. Like the samurai were kind of like the knights, the noblemen, the defenders. So it's really, I just I was doing Taekwondo with a group and the owner of that school went to Korea and became a master in this art, and then took it back and taught all of us. And it's kind of interesting. It was like the organization, the actual Heidong Gundo organization was only created in the eighties. So it makes it seem like it's not very legit, but the stuff's been around forever. They just like finally got together, organized it. And what they were trying to do was karate, taekwondo, all these different martial arts have like 17 different offshoots, whatever. So they wanted to just like formalize everything be like, we're going to be the same global. So in the 80s, they just created the Haydun Gumdo Federation and then taught a bunch of masters, like handpicked these people and then sent them out to go do their thing so they can do like a global championship. And everyone's kind of the same. Within five years of him coming back and teaching us, we already had West Coast versus East Coast. It was a group in Arizona that was like fighting to be kind of the be all end all, like the for the American Haydun Gumdo group and we had our east coast group of of dudes who were in uh, Baltimore, New York and Ohio and we we kind of we actually went to Korea for like the world championships in this in this sport and we had like the west coast and east coast United States we already were split
1: <laughs> wow that's crazy already rivalries in like 20 30 years you got your rivalries so, the
0: one instructor on the West Coast is actually a Marine who was living overseas and he had a very a special, like personal connection. Whereas my instructor, my master, was someone who was taking plane trips and spending like two months at a time over there.
1: Cool. You also fight wildfires in California. You seem to have a pretty varied interest in things sword fighting and firefighting.
0: So because of COVID and just kind of life in general, I, I went out to the West Coast to go fight wildfires because a, a friend of mine said it would be a, a cool idea. So I had a, a friend in the army who um, through some unfortunate events lost his leg. And I was working in an aerospace manufacturing place in Michigan. We had this conversation about like, where do you go? What else can you do that's as cool as the military was? And he's like, you gotta just do stuff because you never know what's gonna happen. So he got into... Uh, David Goggins, who wrote the book, like You Can't Hurt Me. I think it's called You Can't Hurt Me. And he, okay. for a year, tried to be like a smoke jumper. Uh, I mean, he was a Navy SEAL. So Goggins was a SEAL. He was jumping out of planes, like doing all this crazy stuff. And then he went to go be a smoke jumper, which are the guys who jump out of planes into the middle of the forest and and fight wildfires. My friend got into that. He was like, look, you can just jump, go over there. Like they'll take you for your your military history. So I got in with an engine in uh, Grizzly Flat and I, I went for a year to go over there and spent 2020 over in the, with the Grizzly Flat station. They actually burnt down this year. Like no joke. The fire station that I was sleeping, Whoa. like living in, for last summer, uh, the the engine was up. I think in Northern California, or helping with some fire in Northern California. I think a lightning strike hit nearby, near Tahoe, and just like wiped out that whole area. And the station burned down. The crew went back, and they took a picture. They sent me a picture. They were like, "It's all gone. We were the <laughs> we were the last crew to stay there."
1: Wow! Wow! That's crazy. Man, that is crazy. Well, this is the first time that we've actually had a veteran on the show. So thank you for your service. One thing we wanted to talk about in this episode was creativity in poker. And I'm sure you have a lot of experience with creativity from your experience with Korean sword art and fighting fires. I have no idea how much creativity you need to have in either of those because I would think fighting fires is not a standard thing. Fires are pretty uncontrollable, unpredictable but you need to have like a mastery of your art before you can delve into the creativity site. I'm trying to figure out where can we apply creativity in poker? So poker is a game with rules.
0: A lot of people call it a sport. I don't know which camp you're in, but it's like a mental sport, right? It's, it's a game. Okay, so chess is a game.
1: It's a game, <laughs> it's a, a, game. a game.
0: Okay, but it's just played for a lot higher stakes than people who are playing Monopoly with their family. Creativity in the sense of sports is really just trying to come up with a new or different way of doing things. It's the ability to produce original ideas and actions with flexibility and fluency. So creativity in the art world is really just, I've never seen this color used that way before. Like Picasso paints people a different way than anyone else and it's creative. But we don't want creativity in sports if if we're just gonna lose. Right? You can't dribble the ball a different way in basketball because you just get a penalty. You can't be like, I'm gonna travel and take four steps. No one's ever seen that. You're gonna get hit with, with traveling. So you can't be creative in the sense of like doing things you've never seen. You need to be creative in the sense of being flexible and fluent with that flexibility. So as far as poker goes, it's the ability to like recognize new ideas and be able to apply it in real time. At least that's that's how I do. So personally, I always just thought creativity was what, like, higher level players needed. If you remember uh, High Stakes Poker, the TV show? Yeah, yeah. The announcers would always have someone on there, like one of the young guns or whatever. And, you know, they'd be at, across the table from Doyle Bronson. And they'd have these guys who are like the old regs who are legends of the game. But they would bring in these young guns and say, like, these guys can get creative. I mean, they, they'd always have Espondiari on there and be like, Espondiari is known for being super creative. We, so you have to be creative to win, right? Otherwise, you're just trading big lines with the other regulars who are all doing the same thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. We mentioned on a previous show that if you play like everybody else, it's going to be a negative sum game because of the rake. If everybody limps and you limp, Someone wins a pot, you trade blinds, you trade pots, eventually everybody succumbs to the rake. If everybody does the same thing, even the standard open to 3x, if everybody's standard opens to 3x, same thing. You have to be apart from the pack. The challenge that I see is how do you know when to be creative? I would think you need to have a certain level of mastery of your craft before you can get creative. Otherwise, you're just like bumbling into ideas haphazardly without a solid plan of, hey... Is this gonna work? I don't even really know what I'm doing. I'm just trying crap out, throwing spaghetti against the wall. Does the spaghetti stick? Okay. I don't know why it sticks and I don't really know why I'm throwing it like my grandmother told me to one time. I remember I was studying for a certification exam and I came across this model of learning called Shu Ri. The first part of Shu, learning the rules. Abide by the rules. You don't need to ask questions. You don't even need to know why the rules work. Basically in poker, like stick these ranges. Use these ranges. Use these lines. You'll be okay. The second part of that, the ha part of it, is now that you understand what the rules are, now you start to learn why those rules work. What's the why behind them? Why is this effective? What is this trying to accomplish? And then the re is like the matrix. You're able to understand what rules can be bent, what rules can be broken, and once you realize there is no spoon, it's game on. Now, you mentioned a good point. It is within the confines of the rules of the game. Like, I can't just do some kind of weird thing that poker doesn't allow because there are rules.
0: Yeah, I think the example of, of an architect making a house is great.
1: You want to use the foundational material
0: that's really strong. You want to build a house out of bricks. Sure. The bricks will be like your strong ranges, the lines that you've studied and you've worked on. So you know that you're solid with the bricks that you're going to build your house with but you don't need to build the same house that your neighbor built. You can build a a four-story walk-up with the same bricks, or you can build kind of like a a much larger, like one-story house if that's what you prefer. You can structure your game as long as you know how to flex those bricks into a a different design.
1: So how do you learn how to flex the bricks? Like we were talking in previous episodes about building a well-constructed range and the why and the how behind betting. When to bet, why to bet, how much to bet, There are all these foundations that we need first, but how much foundation do you need? We've talked about the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule. You really only need to understand maybe 20% of the concepts to get 80% of the benefit. How do we know, or is there a way that we can figure out, I know enough now, I can get creative, or I don't know enough, let me stick to the plan, Let me just do what I know and then wait until I get to some level I don't really know what is and then get creative. That's what I'm trying to figure out here is when.
0: Right. That's the tricky part about poker because you can do something correct and then lose or you can do something bad and still win like on accident. So you kind of need to understand where you are in your game, how comfortable you are. I tell players when they're confident with what they're doing, when they know the reason why they're choosing a certain line, then you have a level of understanding that I think you can use as foundation to take a step up to like the next level. So if you're sitting in a game on a flop or in a turn spot and you're starting to question, like, what am I supposed to do here? That means you need to go home and and study and figure it out. If you're on the flop or you're on the turn and you're like, I know exactly what to do. This is like my autopilot spot. I'm c-betting this every single time. I'm raising this turn every single time then you're comfortable with those spots and you're able to use your cognitive ability to kind of think about different options in that spot. You don't have to spend all of your time thinking about what you need to do. So you already know kind of what right looks like, but when you're up against tricky opponents who are also doing things that may be a little bit different or they're also solid themselves, you need to think of different ways to be that. So I don't think you need to be creative against standard fish, we'll say, right? So if someone's just giving money away, just play aces, like theoretically just play aces, you know, play some good hands. But if you're sitting at a table with a bunch of players who know what they're doing, you need to be the one to start stepping out. If you're the one who doesn't know when to see bet or what to do on the turn, you're probably the loser. Like, if you're in a game of strong players, you, you know every single one of them is, like, well-studied, and you don't know what you're doing on the flop, like, maybe it's time to get up and leave. <laughs> but if you're in a game with a bunch of strong players, and you're also a strong player yourself, you know, like, your strategy, you've been playing with them a while, this really applies great to, like, either smaller casinos with a a pool of regulars standard regulars or like the home game scenarios where you play with the same people all the time you start to get to learn their games every now and then you can recognize spots where you can try something a little bit different the real question then is well yeah how do i know and how different do i need to be
1: right 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 because like you mentioned you could do all the right decisions and lose You can make all the wrong decisions and win. Poker is one of those weird games where the results and the process are so divorced. If I'm playing golf, I use a lot of golf analogies when I talk to Dell. If I make a terrible swing, I'm off balance, I swing too hard, my weight shift is terrible, I'm just, for whatever reason, I'm not going to hit a good shot. I have a terrible swing, I have a poor process, I'm going to hit the ball like garbage. Conversely, if I actually do everything right, I have good stance, I got good balance, I swing within myself, I have good rotation, all those fundamental mechanics, I'm going to hit the ball well, and I can pretty much predict where it's going to go. That's not the same with poker. I can make all the right decisions, play the hand perfectly, get sucked out on the river, and I lose, and your results are divorced from the process. So yeah, how do you know if I take a creative line, hey, I'm comfortable where I am, I have all these default lines, so I, I'm pretty comfortable what I'm doing. I know what to do in the flop, the turn. How do I know whether my creative ploys work?
0: Well, it happens beforehand.
1: So you take your
0: strategy, your normal strategy, and you take your normal lines and you off table try and add some different moves to them. So you might want to take a certain combo and consider check raising. For the most basic level, you might want to add in certain three bets that you're not comfortable with previously. So if you're a new player who's just working on being aggressive, like that is creativity. It's being flexible with a three bet that you normally wouldn't take. So ace jack is like the quintessential example. You have a lot of players who are not comfortable three betting ace jack. Ace king is strong enough Ace Queen is strong enough to convince players that it's a good three bet, but ace jack suited is for a lot of players is like, I can call a pretty hefty bet here. I don't want a three bet. So you can consider working at home with ace jack suited and then consider it being a three bet. And you can do a lot of different like practice at home before you actually get in the game. Practice in poker though, is not the same as basketball or golf, right? You can't just go to the driving range, but you can practice mentally. There's a term functional equivalence, which is when you basically envision doing something over and over again. There's two great real life examples with this. There's a a famous chess player who beat like the Kasparov grandmaster. Sharansky was a a computer specialist. He was like in prison in Russia. And he said, uh, since I'm in prison, I might as well use the opportunity to become the world champion. And he just mentally played chess with himself over and over again. And then 1996, he beat Gary Kasparov. Cleveland Clinic Foundation did a study on lifting their uh, someone their elbow. They were like uh, muscle activation in your elbow. Fun fact: strength comes partially from percentage of like activation of your muscles. So if, if we're the same, like you know Bruce Lee was a pretty strong guy, but he yeah. did see, he looked pretty small. But if you take two people who are the same size, like same body mass, same weight, and you have someone who can activate more of their muscle, they'll end up with a with a stronger lift. So I might be able to squat like 200, but then someone else who is able
1: to activate like 100% of the cells in their leg, they might be able to squat like 350. That's also where beginner gains come from. Everyone's heard of beginner gains. Mostly you're not building muscle. You're recruiting more than muscle fibers more efficiently. So all those beginner gains, it's a real thing. The study actually found like a group of people who imagined
0: flexing their elbows compared to a, a control group of people that just like use their elbow, but they weren't told like the reason for it. And then a group of people who were told like, hey, we're going to see if we can increase your the function of your elbow. The group who mentally prepared and just imagined flexing, they actually had a, a larger like increase in their performance. What I'm getting at is you could imagine mentally being in a spot with this hand that you want to try doing something new with. It's not like you just sit down at the table and then you get dealt a hand and in the moment you say like, I need to switch it up. You think beforehand, new combos that you want to add into these lines, whether you already have a check raising strategy, but it only consists of like, i only check raised sets, but you want to also check raise your strong draws. Don't wait till you're in the game to do it. You can actually sit there and visualize being dealt combo draw and then check raising on the flop. Then that way you're in the spot, you see that hand, however you get to the flop with it, you now recognize. You don't need to think about it while you're in the game because you should be recognizing, hey, I've practiced for this.
1: Okay, so if I understand you correctly, creativity in poker isn't necessarily doing something completely out of left field. It could be something as simple as taking what you're currently comfortable with and expanding it out so if you check raise currently with sets maybe you want to think about check raising with jack 10 suited or 10 9 suited something that might be a strong draw so envision that do the off table work at home and off table is really just like in your head just mentally think about check raising with jack 10 suited 10 9 suited whatever have you take your current range take your current level of play expand it a little bit practice that mentally so that when you're on the table you could be confident enough to execute it. Is that pretty much it? Yes.
0: And that also becomes like your second level. So you've got your foundation, whether it's the first floor and that's your ranges and your lines in general. Now you've got some creativity. You've added in some combos that other players in your game are not using. That becomes like your second level what you're doing is you're creating the foundation or the plateau for you to then take the next step. Cause every now and then you're going to get a player in your game who either recognizes what you're doing or is just spazzy themselves. And you'll find a spot where you need to be able to step on a strong foundation to then go be creative in the sense of like doing something in the spur of the moment that you wouldn't realize. Are you a football fan? You know what? Actually
1: don't follow any sports balls. Okay. It's kind so of crazy. Even
0: People who were not football fans
1: saw replays over and over again for like weeks after the Seahawks lost to the Patriots. Okay, even I'm not, I'm not a sports ball fan. Even I know about that. Now, the interesting thing is had that pass worked, they would have said it was brilliant. But everyone focuses on the results. And since they got intercepted, they were like, this guy sucks. Worst play in the history of ever. And I'm not even a sports ball fan. And I know that. So I'm going to attempt
0: to make the connection to poker through the analogy of that play. They took the stats, which, you know, past performance can't predict future results, but their running back, Marshawn Lynch, was not doing very well. I think he was only like something like less than double digits in 22 out of 24, like running plays, and everyone expects them to run on that play, right? So it's the same thing sitting at a quarter table. You have certain ranges in certain spots that everyone expects you to use. So Patriots expect them to run. It's only second down. Everyone is saying, well, it's second down. You can run and lose, and then you got another chance. Well, they're thinking everyone knows what we're gonna do. What can we then do that's creative but gives us still like a backup? So they decide to throw the ball because they know that hey, we got a good quarterback. No one creates a passing play with the intent of being intercepted, right? No one, right, no right. one raises with aces with the intent of of losing. I will argue that they got sucked out on because the defender who intercepted that ball was like a no, I don't even remember his name. But he was like a fifth round draft pick or something that no one expected to be able to pull that off. He was not like their number one defender. After that play, he obviously started like every single Patriots game. But I would say that was like the 10 percenter, maybe 5 percenter. He found the right spot. He stepped into it. He he took it down. No one saw it coming. But you also could ship it with aces and you lose to the, the five out or two out or whatever. Right. Like it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. But they took all the information they had, the foundational information they had, and they took the stats leading up to it. And they made that decision to be a little bit different than what everyone expects. They built the building with the right bricks, right? So they had a a play that for sure they practiced. You don't go to the Super Bowl without practicing your like five-yard pass play, right? They for sure have a playbook full of different passing plays to use. So the the creativity there was to just choose passing over running. So you might be in a couple of spots where your typical player will decide to fold to some aggression. But if you know that maybe the play, the opponent that you're up against is a little bit more than a value-based player, maybe you can say, what if I raise and having the foundation and the ability to process everything that's at the table allows you to think outside the box like that. You can be facing a bet and instead of saying, oh man, what am I supposed to do? That's a lot of money. Like you just think of it in terms of big blinds, you already know what your ranges are. You have the ability to say, what if I raise instead? and then you consider the options, and then you fold. So maybe you find yourself in a spot where you consider, what if I raise against this guy, and you have a hand that has good playability post flop, and then you decide, maybe I can put in a 4-bet here, or a cold 3-bet or something.
1: Yeah, I like that. I like that. Two interesting points. One, earlier I had mentioned poker is unique in that your results are not necessarily tied to your process. I'm going to rescind that, because after you mentioned the Seahawks-Patriots play... That's exactly the same thing as in poker. They got sucked out on. They may have made the best play at the time. Because yeah, everyone's expecting a running play. Everyone's knowing it. The running guy, I don't do sports. The running guy, he wasn't really running that well. So let's change it up. Good process, good thought, possibly great execution. And it just so happened... That it got snagged by the opposing team by some fifth round draft pick that no one expected. So I'm going to rescind the fact that poker is unique in that aspect. And I would challenge the listeners to watch other sports or other activities in life and try to find out where process and results are actually divorced like they are in poker. Another thing you mentioned is that we have a couple things. So on the show, we typically talk about problems, solutions, and tools and trying to help the listeners up level their game. By applying these tools, so we talked about when to change things up, when to get creative. You don't always need to get creative. If you're playing against the quintessential calling station, you know what they're going to do. Don't bluff them because they're never going to fold. If they're not folding, we're not bluffing. If they're the quintessential rock, old man coffee, knitted up, you know how to play against those guys. But when you get against the people who are thinking players maybe one or two levels above the normal then you know this is a chance where I can be creative. And if you practice just expanding your current knowledge set a little bit, not crazy, not out of left field, but a little bit. So maybe instead of raising this small set, you check raise a slightly larger set. Doing that off-table work and prepping yourself for those events in-game will help you pull the trigger when you're actually at that spot in the game. So I'm liking this. I'm, I'm trying to see where I can use this in my game. I'm thinking back to my session over the past couple days where I could have done this. So for context, we're recording this in September and I just quit my job. I'm going to start a new job Monday. I've been doing all this out-processing stuff and I had like no work to do. So I did the next logical thing, went to the casino. And I ended up making more money than I would have had I just taken time off or stayed in my job. So that worked out well. But I found some locations where like, I had profiled these players, and I'm watching them play. And I'm thinking to myself, I lost I lost some money on the table. I, I definitely kept some money on the table, because hearing what you're talking about with these strategic deviations, seeing what I saw yesterday and the day before, I could have done that. So I'm going to do some off-table work and, and try to mentally prepare for my next session on that.
0: Okay. Yeah. I have, I have a practical example of some creativity that May not have been the best, but it, it was just—it's an example of thinking outside the box. So I had first begun three betting a hold range of like suited wheel aces, and I was left thinking, what do I do with these ace six through ace nine suited cards? Like I, I feel like they should be useful. They have like nut possibilities, but I'm not going to raise with them. I really don't like calling with them. But I was also playing in these games where I'm going to counter your pilot episode have trouble without limping. If you raise, you still go multi-way, right? So I thought, you know, why not? I think that's a, an important step in the creative process is to ask, why not, why can't I do something? So if I'm, if I'm limping with, with A6 through nine student, I end up in the typical spot, but what if I limp re What can I do there? Is that, is that strong? Well, what is a limper you supposed to be? It's like aces or kings.
1: Right, uh, I did the, aces I did the or kings, math. yeah.
0: I found out, you know, how many combos of aces and kings are there, It's 12. There's literally 12 combos of a six, seven, eight, nine suited. So I was like, man, 50, 50, no, one's going to know. <laughs> like I'll just split the difference. Okay. Uh, so I kind of thought like, what if I limp with like a seven suited, if it limps around, I got a pretty cheap flop with a nutted hand that like, if I go flush over flush, I'm going to crush some people. If someone opens, I can just ship it over the top. I got an ace, like I block their aces, whatever, <laughs> let's go if I got okay. aced things, like, okay, I, I tracked it. I mean, it didn't work out so great. There's not a ton of opportunities where that really happens. I and mean, it just speaks to your, like, people in poker not really understanding the truth of what's going on. You get in a, a wild game where it's hard to get heads up with a player. It's really not every single hand that goes multi-way, if you think about it. It's maybe, like, 1 in 5 or 1 in 10 that you see, like, a raise and a bunch of people call. But, you know, it's those hands that you remember. So I'm playing in these games that are pretty crazy and pretty loose. And I'm thinking like every single hand does that. So I thought, you know, maybe let me try this system out. In that sense, if I shifted it a little bit, maybe use kings and queen, and then I opened aces, then I'm going down the next level of, is that a little bit more creative? Like I can still open with aces. I still look a little strong. And then I realized no one was paying attention anyway. I would just limp, (laughs) re-raise, and then I'd lose. I'd show ace, ace seven suited. (laughs) And then I would lose and they'd be like, you're an idiot. <laughs> but if I if I did it with Kings, like I'd be getting called anyway. So that really speaks to like knowing where you need to use it. In those games, I really just needed to open with Kings and then get it all in. I didn't need to start being like weird and tricky like that.
1: Well, I think this also gets to a pain threshold. Like if you're going to get creative, you need to be willing to be wrong. And you need to be willing to learn from that. Like try something. If it works, Great understand why it worked. You might have won having made the wrong decision. Like we mentioned before, that happens all the time in poker. But if you won having made the right decision, if you understand why that was the right decision, stick with that. Try it again. Maybe expand a little bit more. But if you're wrong and you just lose and it was because your play was dumb, learn from that. I mean, I guess part of creativity is not entirely knowing that you're going to be right and being comfortable being uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. It really comes down to confidence that you understand what's happening and you can piece apart why something happened when it did. Awesome.
1: Thanks a lot, Jordan. I really appreciate this. Do you have any closing thoughts to round us out? I feel like we've had a pretty good conversation about how to be creative, when to be creative, when to check whether your creativity worked or not. And you have a lot of examples in... Like, okay, I got to say, if I'm in prison, I'm not thinking to myself, how could I become a grandmaster chess player? I'm thinking, how do I not get shivved?
0: Yeah, especially Russian prison.
1: Oh my goodness, I love that story. We're going to end the show with a game. If we use words that have more than one sound, we lose a point. If you heard what I said, you saw or heard that I used words that had... I used just words that had one sound each. This is hard to do. All right, we're going to talk on cards.
0: Well, which card game is your best?
1: The one for which we do this show.
0: I like cards, but the game that we play the most is a game that I have
1: great skill in. It's named for a state in the South, Hold'em. them. that
0: works. That that works since Hold'em is the real name since you need
1: to think if you will hold this card or fold this card. Yes. So what cards do you have in your range pre-flop and why? If
0: I have a ace and a card that is
1: not an ace, I don't care. I will just raise. Sounds good. Are there more cards than that in your pre-flop raise? We did a show last week on how to make your own range. And the big thought in that show was that you need to have a Y. Is it for value? Is it for safe play? Is it to raise post-flop? There needs to be a Y for each hand in your range. If you are to see your EV through each street of the hand. And that was hard. I think
0: strength is a good choice for what the hand is worth, not that V word. But I do have a good mix of hands that v are word? strong and not strong. Yeah, value. I heard it. <laughs> so I think if I have a pair, most of the time, I will choose that in my strong part of my range. If I have two cards that are close in size, then I will look at what type of card they are in terms of suit. And then if they are the
1: same, I will also raise. Alright, alright. I think we have to end it here because you and I are actually so good at this. The thing is we end up sounding like Christopher Walken. We just have this kind of stutter where we have gaps. Or maybe Captain Kirk. I'm not sure what, but I think we have to end it here. Anyway, that's that, that that's was a, a lot of fun. The poker game when you, uh, you know, don't practice
0: is you start to play with a stutter too and everyone, everyone calls the clock on you.
1: You're right, you're right. You're thinking while you're doing it. Wow, wow. This is why you need to have defaulted lines and defaulted one-word sentences for everything you want to say. Anyway, this has been a treat. Thanks, Jordan. I really appreciate you having on the show. Thank you, BJ. And until next week, try to get creative next time you play. This has been The Blind
0: Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. If you haven't already done so, consider subscribing. And when you're not counting your chips, take a moment to leave the guys a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get yours.